Welcome back to the Why Aren't You Famous podcast with me, Ellen Cherry. And Andrew Grimm. Where over a series of episodes, we explore the topic of fame. Mmm, fame. And why we don't have any of it. So tasty. <laughs> so forbidden. The forbidden fruit of fame. <laughs> the three Fs. F cube. Forbidden fruit fame. I guess it would be fof, wouldn't it? Fav. What would it be? I don't even know what you're talking about. The forbidden fruit of fame. That would be fof. Yeah, but if, since of is just one of the minor words, you know, it wouldn't even get capitalized, you know. So for the two people that have bothered to continue listening this far into the episode, thank you. We know mm. that you're true for fans. For fans. For mm. fluffle. So today's topic mm. is... This is a good one. It is a good one. I think they're all interesting topics. I barely even remember us coming up with it. In fact, you, you sent me an email saying, what is this about? And I was like, I don't know. So today's topic is about perception. Mm, yes. Um, public versus private. Mm. So that was also a little bit perplexing to me as I tried to write the essay. But I think we tried to explore it in our own ways. What is the perception of fame? Possibly. There's a lot of peas on that plosive-filled statement. What did you intend by that subject matter? Well, I think like <clears throat> there's um, there's the personal perception of, of what fame is and what success is, and then there's this kind of like public type of like uh, like a uh, I don't want to say mainstream, but like there's a larger sense that you know oh well you know you should be on American Idol, and the only type of fame is worldwide super huge stardom fame and. When you think about like all the famous people that are out there, that's a really small percentage of seven billion people, seven and a half billion people. Oh my God, is that many now? Yeah, it's that many. People stop, stop people. It's not gonna happen. People stop, stop people. No. Nope. <laughs> can, can we make that into a phrase? People, people stop peopling. <laughs> oh my God, seven so and a half billion. That's a lot of people. If I could just and, and, get and, like and, half of those people to download and pay for a song, that's not going to happen. I'd have three billion dollars. Well, that's why I, I keep thinking my subscription service is, is such a good, you know, uh, strategy to to not yeah, you be. Told me about the math. Not become famous, but like to be sustainable. So, yeah, so you, you can just like really, you know, go back to the last episode and just it's all about the work ethic. Then you don't yeah. have to worry about paying the bills as much. I'm I'm afraid that in your definition of what the essays were supposed to be about, that mine may have veered off into weird territory, but that's okay. For for today's? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, just for today's. Just not, for... not ever. <laughs> in the last two. But. I think last episode you were talking about how I'm rambling and I'm off and nah, 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 I'm in the cosmos. Woo, woo, woo. Yeah, that was totally like that whole essay was ego driven because it was like, it's all about me. This is what I think. And I'm I... Alan Cherry. <laughs> <laughs> That's the voice we both used to to imitate me. <laughs> ah, mine is. I was almost like uh, who's that, Mr. Herbert from uh from Family Guy. Ma- oh God, I thought you were gonna make a Simpsons quote. Anyway, <laughs> no, no, no. So he's the he's the uh, the old man down the street. Oh, the, yeah. He's a bit of a pedophile, though. That's, yes, yes. That is exactly what my fake voice it's been is. Been a long time since I've seen a muscly arm. <laughs> On a lady such as yourself, volunteer. <laughs> I've got a I've got a ice box full of popsicles in the basement. Okay, so for the one person who is still listening to this podcast, um, I believe we are I completely go, sober. I believe I go first today. You do go first today. Today's today's your you get to go on the uh, on the uh, the essay first. All right. So okay, so we're gonna listen to your essay. Yeah, let's do it. I'm not afraid. I'm not scared. You're not afraid. Okay, yeah. cool. I'm looking forward to uh, to hearing it. I'm going to reveal something that anyone who has driven next to me on a highway will know is not really a very big secret. 
I tend to pick my nose on long drives and on the highway. It's a nervous habit. A wicked case of post-traumatic stress disorder caused by a criminally intoxicated driver a few years ago has raised the level of anxiety that I've always felt in a car. Could it be because I was also in a terrible car wreck when I was younger? Who knows? Well, I do know the answer to be yes, and so does my therapist. Anyway, back to the nose picking. There's something in my psychological makeup that believes that I'm actually invisible when I'm in my car, which is funny to me because the opposite is true. I'm super visible. The windows in my car, in fact, are made of clear glass, which apparently people can see right through. In the last episode, I mentioned that my astrological sign is Cancer, the crab, a zodiac that is associated with homebodies. I have always been very good at nesting and making my home a place that I long to be when I'm far away from it. I've also worked very hard to be comfortable in my car again, especially after that car wreck. It's possible that all this important brain work has led me to a very strange place. A place where I have come to believe that the driver's seat in my car is the same as the middle cushion of my couch. I bring up this unfortunate disconnect with my ability to discern between public and private spaces with this particular bad habit, because I think that if I were famous, this would probably be one of the things that would vex me the most. Seeing photograph after photograph after photograph of myself touching my nose. And I say touching now because, at this point, I realize that I may have already permanently affected the image you have about my face in your mind. And I think that this is the heart of this essay for me. My personal view of famous people are that they get no privacy. It's possible that some choose not to be private, or maybe that's a deal that they make to be famous. So here's the conflict for me. Because I'm not just a creator of songs and stories, I'm also compelled to perform them. I believe that as a storyteller, I need to be out in the world, observing. I'm recording the stories of other people, relating to them, and incorporating them into my own stories. This vampiric way of being in the world has served me well for 20 years of songwriting. If I became famous, I fear that I would lose that public privacy. And the worst of it isn't that someone would snap a picture of me picking my nose. I'm... I meant touching my nose. The worst of it is that I wouldn't be anonymous in public, able to observe, to interact without interacting. I believe that having private space in public is essential to the type of art that I want to continue to create. Yet I need to perform the work in public and be the one who is observed. I fear that the two needs couldn't be met on a timeline of my choosing. It looks like it might have to be either or if I were to become famous. Also, being publicly famous and recognizable doesn't look very relaxing. And if I couldn't relax, how could I possibly continue to stretch and be flexible and absorb and deeply delve into my psyche and rip out the disgusting, nasty things and celebrate the beautiful, rich, and scary things of my heart and my mind to put them on display in a new artistic way over time? I fear that fame would open a door to so many incubi and succubi draining my time and attention. I do think that people who do great work can become famous, and in some cases, it could lead to the next artistic leap for a person. And I'm willing to recognize that I might sound like a snob with what I'm about to say, but it seems like the bigger the ball of wax that your career becomes, the more people get involved in it, making creative decisions and shaping you towards something that has sold well in the past, simply because non-artists have determined that it will likely sell well in the future. 
Plus, at this stage of the game for me, it's starting to feel like a deal breaker that I wouldn't get to pick my nose whenever I want. And in case anybody was really wondering, she's picking her nose right now. I can't stop. It's I can't stop. <laughs> and and that one part, like it was at first, it was kind of tentative. You know, I, I I saw her like you know just slowly moving the index finger up to to one of the nostrils, but then when she got to the part of her essay where she's like ripping all the things out, she was really you know man, like unabashedly really feeling super comfortable with you yeah. and like not yeah yeah I thought you were gonna start a punk band called Inadvertent Lobotomy. <laughs> Because, <laughs> man, it was, whoo. Got these long piano fingers, I'll dude. I'll tell you what, girl. <laughs> that's, some, that's, some, that's some nose picking there. <laughs> so anyway, what did you think? <laughs> well, what I thought was, I, A, again, uh, I really like the essay. Um, I really like, you know, the kind of uh, being very clear about your personal descriptions like I I don't mean that to be a joke about the whole nose picking thing, but this this kind of sense of like where you are is where you are. Like you're able to the the comparison between your car seat and the middle cushion on your couch. You know this whole thing of like, hey, you know the 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 dual edge of fame is yeah, you get all this accolade and money and all this other stuff, but you almost immediately lose your you know your your privacy even though and, and the irony of of it is is that you're you know driving around you know all of maryland with for the world to see you pick your nose you know and then it, and what's, other what, states right right you know not this it's I'm a worldwide to drive a car in maryland by the state of maryland but i can actually drive it into other states you know president trump said he was going to bring mining back <laughs> oh good unk or whatever what? freaking noise you make with that terrible joke oh i'm sorry i i, I invoked he who should not be named <laughs> um but uh but then there's the, that whole idea like you know at the end you start talking about how like you would by gaining that fame you would be less likely to pick your nose yes because now people are watching you even though people are still watching you yeah regardless so i think those are really cool points yeah for me it would feel um that i would lose I mean, the nose picking thing is, it, to me, was just humorous because it's something that um, I'm not afraid to admit that I do. <laughs> I wash my hands a lot, too. And it's a nervous, gross habit. I recognize that. But it's, you know, everybody does it, it's right? A, it's a little weird at your shows. <laughs> it's a little, it makes you a little uncomfortable. When you're really comfortable on stage, you're like, yeah, I know a little nose. Hey, well, guys, come well, into the intersectum. <laughs> <laughs> oh, your your interceptum. Interceptum, <laughs> very clever. Thank you. Well, do you have, do you ever have that on stage where? Well, I'm sure you've had this where you're you're singing or you're doing something and there there is some sort of bat that's in the cave, and you're and you, you can kind of like or like you might be a little you might have a little cold or something you feel a little sniffle or a dribble of like snot that's coming no. in and you're singing you're just like ah guy and it tickles or that's precisely the reason why I take care of it on the way to the gig. No no no, but in the middle or well um, I don't know you you've spit on stage haven't you like no never. <laughs> that's never. Not, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. Um. Like, I drool all the time on stage. It's terrible. No, it's kind of, I think that people don't realize this about singing, that sometimes when you're singing a long note, saliva gets trapped in the bottom of your mouth. Uh, yeah, and it's like, got nowhere to go. And unless you're going to, like, stop and go. 
into the microphone or near it, it's happening. Anyway, my point is, right. like, the idea... Gave up my life. <laughs> For love. That's exactly what I sounded like when I used to sing that song a million years ago. Um, the idea being that I... Um, that for me to be wanting to be anonymous in public and to have that public privacy is so important right. because I um I appreciate the the ability to sort of be invisible and right. um and also even in relationships when people don't I'm sure this has happened to you where um if you've just met somebody for the first time before they find out it's almost like finding out somebody's a reporter you know mm. like they will reveal things to you that they may not have i think less so with songwriters but right, like right. the idea being that i do love to take people not take their stories meanly but to if somebody says a great turn of phrase and i can morph it into my own language or just a thought um or even just observing a story my the street that i live on every day i'm looking out at a hundred different stories of people driving by in their cars there's mm -hmm. active heroin across across the street and the people that are li living di gold mine. very different lives <laughs> than i do in the city and to observe them and to be out in the world among them and talking to people too is is really important to me and i think people approach famous people much differently than they do non-famous people that's probably true and i also think because I tend to look different in real life than I do when I actually like shower and put on performing clothes that <laughs> you're laughing, but it's true. Your performance smock. Yes. <laughs> my one performance smock <laughs> um, that people, once they, cause people will approach me and they'll say, you look so familiar. And I'll be like, yeah, I get around, you know, whatever. Um, but then when somebody, there have been a few occasions when somebody said, oh, you are Ellen Cherry right, and right. all of a sudden the the timbre of the conversation changes a little bit and there's um a it's it's not like a distance but there's a, a weird um maybe it does a little bit of distance that um I feel like it's instantly created that well, I don't like there's a different type of expectation that happens yeah. then you're you know the context of your conversation then changes I mean slightly it's it doesn't have to be like you know walls go up and you know up put set the mood on fire to keep this per, you know yeah because I mean I don't think either of us have that persona <laughs> have that persona yeah. or or that level of fame or whatever yeah but you just had uh you had one of my former students yes recognize you at a salon where I was about to get my eyebrows waxed mm -hmm. and yeah she walked like she was so sweet but in a busy salon I walked in and I had just finished cleaning a house and I was wearing like gross shorts and she like so sweetly and very loudly to the whole salon <laughs> said you're Ellen Cherry and I was like I am, I am. and at 15 people looked at me and I thought I'm here to get like see my esthetician <laughs> You know, just like a regular person. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm, yeah, we should get that Us magazine. And now. she was one of your former students, and she it was so well spoken and so Aww. nice. And she said, "I've loved your music for years, and I love Mr. Grimm's music." <laughs> and it was a wonderful um, moment, but it, it was also sort of unexpected. Like mm -hmm. I wasn't expecting to go into that um, that atmosphere or that environment right, um, right. and be on stage, basically. Hmm. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Plus, I, I get my eyebrows waxed in case everyone wants to know. Well, we all know that now. <laughs> I didn't know that before. You can't see them right now, but they look amazing. I don't. I don't get my eye, eyebrows waxed. No, that's pretty obvious. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I get I get extra eyebrows put in. <laughs> I think that's I part extensions. of your charm. Yes. I've been waiting low these many years for you to grow them out long enough to like... <laughs> low these many years, old owl eyes finally decides to... <laughs> to grow them long enough to meld with your beard and your regular hair. Well, I'm working in like another 10 years, I could be one of those guys from Dune, you know, one of the doctors or whatever that had the huge eyebrows and... I developed some If you ever have to get spectacles and be one of those types of men that grows your eyebrows like grow over the, <laughs> that, that hold the spectacles on. <laughs> hold your glasses on yeah, your face. I hope that doesn't happen to me. You do have beautiful eyelashes. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I've been working on them. So let's listen to your essay. Okay, my essay. All right, so my essay uh, also about the perception of uh, fame, the, the, the personal and the public perception. It's a slightly different type of angle. But uh, nonetheless, we're just here to explore and figure it out. We're exploring. (laughs) Clink, clink. As my good friend Tom McHugh oft says, we build the narrative we need. Our needs are seemingly proportionate to our perceptions. What we think is real informs us of our needs. It can drive us or it could run us over. Truth is, Truth may not exist in the way that we are used to accepting it. And right now, in America, we're kind of on the fence about how facts are being interpreted as truth based on the sender or receiver's perception of need, right? Confusing? For me, it all goes back to the green room at Fletcher's on Bond Street. On the second floor of a typical corner unit row house in Fells Point, Fletcher's was a pretty cool venue. A slightly raised stage, Big soundboard, big mains, separate monitor mixes, national acts touring through, Whiskey Town, Mark Kozilek, Robin Hitchcock, Miracle Legion, Richard Buckner, The Silos, The Crash Test Dummies. When I first started playing out in Baltimore, Fletcher's was the small-time brass ring. I was used to Wyatt's and the Brass Monkey. Manage your own sound, no real barrier between you and the audience, playing almost completely on the floor. And don't get me wrong, I loved those places. It was formative. And if Wyatt's were still around, I'd still be playing it. However, Fletcher's had a green room. This magical, mystical place you would see band members spirit away to. Up the stairs, off of the stage, to the third floor of the row house. What was up there? Who was up there? How does someone gain access to the glorious killing fields of rock and roll Valhalla? To me, there was something so attractive and desirable about that green room. If I can make it to that level, I will have achieved something. I too would then be seen by the audience as having exclusive access that set me apart from them. This was my narrative for a year and a half. And then we got the call. My first band, Factory Horse, got the shot to open for Todd Tebow. Side note, even as I write this, I do not know what happened to him. I didn't even bother to look him up on Facebook. He's from Boston and he was sort of a mid-level big deal. Anyhow, I could barely contain my excitement. On time and bouncing off of the walls, we loaded in from the fire escape. A load-in I would soon begin to tire of after the third time playing at Fletcher's. Checked in with the sound guy and then reveled at every step upon step as I went straight for the green room. Slowly I pushed open the door 
in front of me and, well, for the entire time Fletcher's existed, was a dingy white room with two couches and a bathroom. Still cool, but the smell of bleach and cigarettes reached deep into the back of my throat and tamed my excitement immediately. It's kind of like one of the big moments from Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven. The speaker throws open the door expecting a monster, some sort of confrontation, and all he finds is darkness. Except in this case, I was greeted by the hum of fluorescent lighting and the smells of Mr. Clean and Joe Camel doing it. And nothing more. The key issue here isn't the narrative or the perception, it is the resulting expectation that leads to disappointment. When we meet someone we perceive to be famous and mysterious, that fame and mystery dissipates pretty quickly when they open their mouths. There's little room for those people to live up to our expectations, or even the narratives we've constructed for ourselves so that we can function. And now, almost 20 years later, I can say that, although I'm still building narratives, those narratives are more rooted in experience than some far-off fantasy ideal I concocted for myself. I've played festivals and toured the country, met more famous people, even sat in with some people who are bigger deals than myself. But those places are really just places, and those bigger deals really are just people. Even my narrative about Fletcher's green room is just a narrative. It has changed in meaning, though. No longer the romanticized vision of success, it has become that cautionary tale of reality. Whenever I show up to a show and someone says, hey, let me show you to where the green room is, I always brace myself for Clorox and camels. Nice. Thank oh, you. the smells. <laughs> the smells. At, um, I think that that's what. It's well, smell is the strongest sense anyway. It is the strongest memory sense. Memory sense. <clears throat> and so I'm not surprised that you would have a memory sense that would um, coincide with Fletcher's Green Room. I never got, made it to Fletcher's Green Room, but I did open for a bigger band there. Oh, wow. Kay's Choice. Oh, wow. Remember? I'm uh-huh. not an addict, baby. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like she was a big deal. And yeah, she was a huge deal. And really talented. And I love that song. And she was I, German, wasn't she? Ich weiß nicht. <laughs> wow. Which means, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That's the Baltimore version <laughs> of I don't know. Um, <clears throat> Very close to the German. <laughs> so. If you examine the glottal stops. <laughs> but I I never made it into the the green room of Fletcher's. I did see the green room of the old 8x10, which was at 8 through 10 Cross mm-hmm. Street. Yeah, yeah. Which was this club... Um, of some that was also a brass ring for I think yeah. a lot of us in the early aughts in Baltimore. To, yeah, if you got to, to play the open mic, that was like a big deal. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. Um, that and then getting a regular show. I did a CD release party there and got to see their terrible. I mean, their green room, which was also at the top of this row house, was like climbing into uh, yeah a urinal. I mean, like, <laughs> and the walls were just it's covered like with cuddling up with a urinal cake. Yeah, and then they like the building fell in on itself, and they redid the building, and then they built a new set of green rooms upstairs. That like when I got to play it, when it became the eight by ten again, yeah. it was really like it was almost disappointing <laughs> to go into a somewhat sterile, right, 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 regular room that didn't smell gross and have like a couch that you were like, I definitely am going to get 
hepatitis from that couch. <laughs> oh, hepatitis couch. Or <laughs> yes, MRSA sir. or something like right, that. Right. <laughs> um, and so it was a little bit disappointing because the, the green room is like, I don't even think I know what to do in a nice green room. I don't think I know either. I think I, I took a nap in one once. That That's like the most rock star I think I ever felt is like when I went to, we were somewhere, we were somewhere where there was a green room, which I was shocked. But I remember thinking to myself, you know what, I'm just going to lay down for a while because I, I had been up for a long, long time. It was a long drive. And, and I saw the couch and I was like, that's it. I'm, I'm going to nap out there. Because um, usually, I don't know, when you get there, it's like, okay, green room's nice, but, you know, there's never really enough of a crowd <laughs> for me to think, like, I should probably go I have to escape. Room. Yeah, I have to escape. But this. that's the perception that you were talking about, is that there's this ba- this mythical backstage. Mm-hmm. And then when you personally get to see, like, you wait to see the backstage because you're like, this is the curtain. I cannot wait to see what's behind this curtain. And right. it's like, it's going to be... What did you say? The Valhalla? Oh, yeah, the killing fields of rock and roll Valhalla. You know, and that like you are going to experience some some just out of this world thing. And then you realize like, oh, it's just people back here. Yeah. And it's just people that have used this room and people have done what people do in rooms, yeah. which is like use yeah. them up and stuff. Well, there was a, uh, I think uh, June Star played there. This is after they raised the stage at at Fletcher's. And it was like a four-band bill or something. I'm not gonna mention the guy who played, but uh, I remember I remember Finneran, Ryan Finneran. Uh, I think it was him. I'm pretty sure it was him. Um, Don't sue us, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> he well, he he walked up. I think he walked upstairs to go. To, he was gonna grab a beer out of the fridge in the green room, which was, of course, is always like, hey, there. And he walked in, and and uh, one of the guys from the other bands was uh, was getting a blowjob on the couch. Oh, and it was like, and Ryan came down. I, I God, I have to ask him. I'll have to text him. But he, if it wasn't Ryan, whoever came down and said, "Hey, so and so is like, wow, man, it's, they're getting it on up there," and I was like, uh, "Well, don't sit on that couch." <laughs> <laughs> There's a lesson for you right there. Speaking of blowjobs. <laughs> Since you brought it up, uh-huh. um, that's one of the reasons why I quit a gig that I used to play in Alexandria. Oh, right. yeah, 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 yeah. At the what was don't it? even say it doesn't matter. It, it does. Was, no, it doesn't. I was playing a regular bar gig in Alexandria. <laughs> this was several years ago. It was a long. That was like that would be eight years ago. Yeah, and it was Wednesday night gig that I had like bi monthly, and it was me and the bartender, and I was just singing my songs about the Great Depression. <laughs> And there was like two bar patrons um, at the end of the bar, a woman and a man. And I look up like the second chorus and some sexual activity was happening. And I just remember thinking, this is an inappropriate song for this activity. This should not be turning anybody off. Right. And also I deserve better. And I remember like I hit my mute pedal, I unplugged and the bartender like looked up at me and I was just like, I'm not going to do this. I really don't want this for my life. And I left and I never played that place again. Um, and it really was like a turning moment for me. But yes, yeah, so we have experienced, um, people do experience crazy things that change the course yeah. of their lives. But what you said in your essay also about um, meeting like when you meet a famous person, a yeah. person that isn't famous in your mind, right. and you shake their human hand right, or right. stand in front of their corporeal 
body and realize like oh this is a this is a person and um not a machine or a celestial body that is like you know except for like i've I've never met bjork but i can imagine that would probably be like (laughs) you get enveloped in some kind of light source or something i don't know right (laughs) i don't know it's amazing but they the there's that the destroying of something that is you know sort of interesting and precious and it fascinates me because you and i both started playing music before instagram before social media for a good decade before that was um ubiquitous and it's fascinating to me because now even those little windows into what the real lives of a celebrity or a famous person could be are also totally artificial and um, and people are praised when like Alicia Keys a year ago said, I'm not going to wear makeup in any photographs or in the appearances anymore. Right. And if you see pictures of Alicia Keys, she is so beautiful. Right. She was pretty before, but she is beautiful with completely without makeup. And I appreciate that she did that. Um, I don't follow her on Instagram, so I have an idea like if she's um, curating which I imagine that she does in mm-hmm. some way, or somebody curates those types of pages for, and who knows? Anyway, I'm blathering on about it. But yeah. it's weird that even the little tiny window, it, first of all, it's weird that we need, that people want the window. Right, right. And then also how, how quickly perverted that idea was. Yeah, I think like... Or uh, that idea was perverted, that's what I meant. <clears throat> no. Well, when we think about like band photographs, you know, people, when you, you venues and the media expects you to give them a photo of yourself that is like somehow posed or whatever. Tells a story about what kind of music you're going to play. Man, I am terrible at that. Well, yeah, the narrative, right? Yeah. But I'm really bad at like those photos and I, I really don't, I don't like taking them. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I, people take pictures of me on stage and I look like, in, you know, like I just wandered on stage. I, I don't have like natural grace with my body when I'm like, you know, playing. Um, actually, I, I don't, I, wait, I don't have natural grace at all. I Ooh. thought you majored in ballet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I spent my time with the Bolshoi and then, um, I defected and, and, but I, I, I think that like there's, there's that image type of thing that's going there. And, and when, in my essay, I wanted to talk about, I did talk about that idea of like what we make up in our heads, what we when we listen to a record and we're so convinced we know who that person is and from an artistic point of view it's like I want to meet these people and talk to them yeah because I'm like I'm like wow how do they write that how do they write that or like wow you know this is like a really big deal and you meet them and you know 50% of the time they're like hey what's up <laughs> like yeah. oh, I don't know <laughs> You know, and because uh, your expectation of like having this deep personal relationship with somebody that you have had a personal relationship right. that they haven't actually participated in, right? And, and and you have a relationship with the song, but you don't have a relationship with the person. Yeah. Um, and that's you know that's something that I've seen like with um, Richard Buckner, um, in you know, we we've, we've turned out to, to to be friendly with each other. You know, we're exchanging emails every once in a while or whatever. And but um, you're basically BFFs. Yeah. <laughs> Or as close as close could be. Um, But like I would send him an email or, or, you know, every once in a while chat him up a little bit and and I opened a few shows for him. But like when I first met him, you know, his songs are, I mean, my songs are depressing. I mean, my songs are sad. His songs are like really sad. Like I was like, wow. But you meet him and he's like this, you know, more often than I was like, hey, how you doing? Hey. (laughs) He's this really nice kind of animated guy. And 
Um, you know, uh, James McMurtry is pretty much so. Yeah. Felt like, uh, uh-huh. that, that's it. That's all you're going to get out of James McMurtry. Um, and, you know, and, and then some But his people, songs are very loquacious and oh the my, presentation of characters and oh them are very. Oh my goodness, his yeah. voice is amazing. The, like the voice of his characters. Um, and I think the worst, the worst celebrity like mystery thing, and I wasn't like super excited to meet him, but I was happy to be around. It was Chuck Prophet. Man, he's mean. He's <laughs> he was mean, man. He he like he he tore into EJ uh, Shaw Thompson. Um, Who is the sweetest person on earth? I know, and he's a and he's a great drummer, and he's like really really nice. And he just like he said something to EJ. I was like, EJ looked at me, and I was like, I don't know what to say, dude. <laughs> So I realize that maybe the focus of our podcast should be like, how can we trash talk famous people? No, nah, they're never going to hear this anyhow. <laughs> then, well, and what, what what makes it, you know, and what, I mean, maybe Chuck Prophet was having a bad day. No, I'm just joking. Oh. I think we actually have the right to have an opinion about that because we both have experienced that too, where we haven't necessarily said the thing sure. to the person. And I think probably the difference for the two of us is, I don't know, Chuck, Chuck Prophet, um, but... Like I would feel bad about it and would seek out a way to find that person and apologize yeah, so yeah, and I'm really sorry about that. feel guilty and or make a public apology like I was in a really bad way that right, day right. or something. I don't think I don't think I could actually even say I mean, like I might not like dig what somebody's doing, but <clears throat> for me to actually say that to them to them, I mean like I Yeah, you're self aware. You know, it's like, Hey, you know, you you know, you got a plan, you're following it. <laughs> You know, good good luck with it. You know, I, who am I to to pass judgment like that? So, but um, yeah. But the perception <clears throat> of that famous person is that they're a going to be just like their songs, right? Um, and also b that they're going to be um on the a game and not human, right? Right. And that idea of like the backstage as this um this brass ring that you were talking about. Oh, you, and just if you're listening and you're thinking about memories, the brass monkey, I played oh, a bunch yeah. of times. And the, that's like a place that everybody should have had to play at some point. It's the Kip. brass monkey. Oh God. Oh, and, um, and you know, the one thing I learned about the brass monkey or, or like I, I, I picked this, I, there's one good thing that came out of the brass monkey. And, um, that funky monkey. If you have ever, if, if you've ever like played a show that I've been running sound, um, and you go up to your microphone, and your microphone smells minty fresh. Yeah. Um, it's because I was at the Brass Monkey once, and they were they had put a mic. Now, people who don't perform, when you go to a venue and you don't bring your own microphone, you're going to be using the house microphone. And the house microphone has been used by millions of people. And not all of them take good care of their teeth. And a lot of them spit. And you're like, if you've ever wanted to kind of get a close up whiff of Gigi Allen, you know, that's what you, I mean. It's just it's like this this combination of like mold and ass. And like, it's just it's, you know, it, speaking of BJ's, BJ has a quote about that in one of his songs. The microphone smells like a beer. Oh, that's true. Billy Joel, get your minds out of the gutter. Yeah, Billy Joel. Yeah. Huh. Anyway, go ahead. Anywho, <laughs> GG Alex. Um, yeah, <laughs> well, but like, so um, when I was at the Brass Monkey once, I, I watched the sound guy because they actually had a sound guy towards the end of the the Brass Monkey days, and uh, he pulled out the microphone, put it up there, and he took a little uh, binaca thing oh. and spritzed it, and I was like, brilliant! Oh, my God, you're light years ahead of us. Humanitarian, that man was. I never. I, 
Yeah, and so we all like you know we're throwing roses at him. <laughs> we're we're like thank you. Hail um, our fearless leader. <laughs> so so after that, when the Listerine sprays came out, I was like, I'm gonna get some of that. Cause, yeah. Because when you get up there, you're like, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> oh, good lord. There's one time with that boy, that microphone at the wind-up space. Whew. Oh, that's something you can actually fix. So oh. my question for you, Mr. Yes. Grimm, is you have a question. Now that we have discussed some of the perception of the of what we believe, perceive, the things we perceive to be the difference between public and private, and publicity or no privacy or private privacy, I guess, right. in the context of being famous or not. Um, what was I going to ask? Oh man, I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, just like to answer the question, like, well, how has that led you to not being famous? That perception, the perception that you have. How do you feel that it's keeping you from possibly being more of a bigger deal than you already are? I'm not sure if it's entered in my into into, into the equation for me. Like, I'm not afraid of. I guess I guess it's because I'm I've I've put out you know. 13 records and I'm still not any farther along than I was, you know, 10 years ago that I don't even think about it a whole lot because it's not something that, um, I mean, unless somebody picks up the record and does something fantastic with it, I will forever be kind of where I am, which is not a bad thing, but I don't really think about it a whole lot. Um, if, if we talk hypothetically, if something for that, like, if I were suddenly to become, like, you know, just launched into to, to fame, um, I don't know if I would be okay with it as much as it would be, like, I, I would rather stay private about my stuff. Yeah. And I I, I think that you you talked about this whole idea of, like, you, you have this, you know, team of people who are then there to manage your image. Yeah. So then it becomes, you know, do I want my image managed? You know, especially geared towards something that is um, about selling. Right, and I, I'm and my my visual appearance is just not the selling point of my. Yeah, films. and selling something, and not even like I'm not opposed. You to didn't have sell- to agree that quickly. <laughs> I, I don't apologize for that. Okay, fine. But just not selling some like I'm not saying that I'm not selling something. I I am trying to selling is not the right word. But there is something that I'm trying to promote, which is connection sure. and um, deep reflective, um, you know, understanding of emotions. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean you have to have some sort of like, you know, post picture of you being, you know, pensive about something. And, you know, I, that's I mean, I guess it does because people I guess people need that. I don't know if they need it or not. Maybe. Th- and maybe this is exactly the reason why I'm not more successful. Um, you know, last episode we talked about that ego ethos type of thing and ego, my ego doesn't really drive me in that particular way. Do you have a sense that it's changing as you've aged too? Like your, um, your approach to that? Like how would you, that like 20, I'm not trying to reveal. <laughs> I'm 45. Okay. <laughs> really? I, I, I'm okay. Oh no, I thought you were younger. <laughs> <laughs> Did you think I was, what, how old do you think I was? 44. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a spry 44. <laughs> but think about your perception of these. Well, I mean, we did talk about that because our perception when we were younger, even 10 or 15 years ago, was like the the prize of the backstage and what it meant to us. Right. But even now I think about how I feel almost lucky because I've had so much privacy for right. the last right. 22 years of working in this business. Um, 
to to be sort of ridiculous with myself and mm. to, to play and to be fun and to not have that to not give so much of that away right um well is, is that because is that is the, because as soon as that public thing happens as soon as suddenly you're elevated to the status and you have to pay attention to all these other things it's it's no longer really a, about the work anymore as it is about I guess like who you are or like what you look like or there's a better point I had to this. Well, no, I feel like for me, let me just say how I feel. Okay. You tell me. Um, I think even 10 years ago, if I got recognized on the street, I w it would immediately stiffen me into an onstage posture. Mm -hmm. And now even at a party or something where I'm just going and, and relaxing with a friend and then somebody says, Oh, I've seen you play before and I really liked it, which is usually what most people will say. They don't say like, right, I thought right. it really sucked. Um, <laughs> it's, I feel like th there's this moment of grace for me in that, that I, um, I have, to, I give myself a little reminder, like, okay, that's really cool that somebody mm -hmm. said that to you, but also don't forget you're at a party to relax. And so don't, don't, be stiff don't right. get on stage you're not supposed to be on stage right now and you don't have to be that way and so that's just become sort of an like i guess an interior self-awareness that like i don't care if you know like i mean i'm trying not to pick my nose um at parties <laughs> right now her 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 arms are folded across her body and she's been tucking, straight jacked into this chair <laughs> she's been she's been holding her hands to her body the entire time yeah, like actually. will not pick nose don't do it don't do it but there's so much to be gained by picking. Um, well, you know, yeah, when I go to a party, which I don't go to any parties because nobody has parties anymore when you're 45. Um, apparently that's, or at least I'm not invited to them. But if I did go to a party and, you know, well, I mean, when I've been in social situations where someone's like, yeah, I saw, you know, yeah. I saw the show and it was good. You know, I usually, I usually just like, well, hey man, I'll play for you right now. Let me get a guitar. And, <laughs> and I... <laughs> You Bob Dylan in the room. That's right. I love. I that's You're a like, verb everybody, now. Everybody, shut up! Shut up! I'm talking about myself. I'm about to lay the most beautiful music on you. Speaking of beautiful <laughs> music, let's move on. Okay, to we're moving on. Our thing that we think should be famous, and and we're talking about the beauty, the majesty, the um, the elevation the, of songwriting craft, the the dulcet tones, <laughs> the. Uh, the, the the gentle ebbing of um, Dingleberry Dynasty. Yes. Okay, so Dingleberry Dynasty is a band that I have been aware of for 20 years in Baltimore. Long time, long time. Well, I can't say. I've lived in Baltimore for 17 years now. and So the entire time? The entire time I've been aware of them, but I have not, through complete fault of my own, never seen them live in performance. A couple of weeks ago, you were mixing sound at the uh -huh. lineup space, and there was this fantastic lineup that had um, Angela Moore from Fishbone, mm -hmm. and Dingleberry Dynasty was opening the show, and they put on an amazing uh -huh. performance. It was so impressive. And they sang the song that they had written called We Are the Opening Band, and it is so... I mean, there was also a, a song about Gary Busey called... Doc surgeons and doctors <laughs> say that I have the strength of ten. Have said that I have the st strength of ten men with regular jobs, with regular jobs. <laughs> which is an actual Gary Busey quote. Um, and they wrote a song about it. But the Dingleberry Dynasty show is a multimedia performance mm -hmm. with um, beautiful visuals. Uh, one, two, three, four, five. It's a five-piece band, six-piece band. Yeah, it's five. Five piece band. It's two guitars, bass, and drums. And they and have obviously practiced and know yeah. their instruments. Um, they're 
all dynamic performers, really funny. Mm -hmm. They involve the audience and they, um, I was talking to the lead singer, Chris, and he said, yeah, we like being the opening band because the opening band is like, and you and I have both done that. Mm -hmm. It's some of the most relaxing shows because you don't have all the pressure of promotion. Mm -hmm. You get to go up and sometimes you're better than the regular band. That's right. And it's a little bit of competition and you do a really kick-ass job and you show them up a little bit. That's right. always fun. And then you're done in like half an hour. Right. But they have this great song that we want to play for you called We Are the Opening Band. All right. Here we go. We're going to yeah. listen.
Okay. Dingleberry Dynasty. Um, Which, yeah, like that. Tr- well, but the name of the band. <laughs> just a just a really quick, uh, a quick side note that uh, Chris used to be the door guy at Fletcher's. Yes. And that's where when I when I first met him, I don't know if he was all that impressed with Factory Horse or June Star, but he was a really nice guy. And uh, but I remember. Uh, I, I had no idea that he was in Dingleberry Dynasty, and, and I had no idea what Dingleberry Dynasty was. It just sounded like um, kind of like a, a heavy metal type of band, and I was, like, I was like, oh, this guy sounds dangerous. Can I be honest? Uh-huh. Yes, I, you can. Yeah. I, Dingleberry Dynasty, I actually thought was a lady band. <laughs> Ooh. Huh. For some reason, the name of the band, in my mind, was like, oh, that's obviously a... a a women's band <laughs> dingleberry yeah i don't know why i think maybe the girls even get dingleberries the, okay women are people okay women just like men okay so of course they get dingleberries okay. all, right. all right of course and if you don't mom if you're listening to this and you don't know what that is i'm so sorry <laughs> don't google it don't google it don't google it <laughs> So, yes, but I, I, I'm a, I, I even, like, I had heard of this band for so long, and yet, um, out of sheer laziness, had not looked them up, so I was so surprised. And, right. Yeah, and Chris is an incredibly dynamic performer. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's fabulous, fabulous. Well, you know, the whole thing about being the opening band, uh, there was an Onion article that talked about the opening band walked around the crowd like uh, like gods or conquering gods or whatever, because it was like, hey, you are in the opening band. Yeah, I was, you know. Um, but in the song... They have this moment where they start talking about, um, well, you know, maybe I'll just go outside and get a smoke, you know. And then there's that whole chant of no re-entry, you know. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you, right. you can't come back in. It's like ah, uh, you know, uh, how how long how long how long are they playing for? What's going on? <laughs> so some really cool stuff in there. Yes. So you can find more information about Dingleberry Dynasty and download their music at. I think it's Dingleberry. No, it's not. No, it? it's dingleberrydynasty.bandcamp.com. Yes. Uh, the website, uh, I think it's just dingleberrydynasty.com. Yeah. Is the website. But go to their Bandcamp page and support yeah. them, just like all the other artists we mentioned, because yep. we want them to be famous. And the thing is that I'm worried is that somebody at some point is going to come back and be like, oh, we are famous. <laughs> and we'll be like, oops, sorry. Uh but this I, is a, I, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to come back and say, we, uh, we're we already famous. Excuse me. Excuse me. Uh, big in Japan. <laughs> I mean, oh, they're pretty famous. Big in Japan. <laughs> exactly. Well, that was, uh, wasn't that Lake Trout? That was who that was before that. Wasn't it? Do you, do you remember Lake Trout? I've only been in Baltimore for almost 20 years, so no. Uh, they would have been it's around. It's a lady band, right? Lake Trout is definitely a lady band. <laughs> it is not a lady band. Isn't there a lady band named Lady Band? <laughs> There should be. There is now. Yes. Lady Berries. Lady Berry La- Dynasty. So we could do like a triple bill. Dingleberry Dynasty, Lady Berry Empire. Empire. And Ellen Cherry. And oh, yeah. Ellen Berries. <laughs> Ellen Berry Dynasty. Don't talk about my berries. Okay. <laughs> so Yes. We I forgot to look at the schedule, but do you know where we're supposed to be heading after Columbus, Ohio? After Columbus, Ohio, um, was it Chicago? I'm gonna say I would say probably Detroit. Oh yeah, we want to go to Detroit. Detroit. Yeah, yeah, because we're doing that big loop. Um, as of yet, we still haven't applied to South by Southwest. Nope. Um, I I still you know I regardless of whether or not we get in the South by Southwest, we will be in South by Southwest. Yeah. 
we will make that happen. I have some I have some friends now down in Austin that we can stay with or we can meet up with. And without a doubt, for those people who don't remember this or maybe you weren't aware of this, but you can find it, it's archived on Facebook. Uh, Ellen Cherry and I tried to book a tour uh, last year, last November. We're coming up on a year since we, we did that. And um, we started early. I've just gotten over the crushing disappointment. And we could not get a single freaking person to respond to us. Yeah. It was it was really disheartening. It really kind of it, it I was I was a little bit upset. But you know what? I got control of my upsetness. Your emotions. And I said, you know, and and, and I called you and said, well, I don't know, I think it's going to happen. And you're like, okay, well, blah blah blah. You know, like, let's just. And I was like, in. who is this? Yeah, <laughs> Andrew Grime. I don't know who you are. Yeah. Oh, you're one of those little people. <laughs> yes. Don't you know I'm famous in my own mind? Um, excuse me, but I'm getting my eyebrows waxed. <laughs> Do me a favor. Maybe I'll talk to you, but you have to peel me a grape first. <laughs> so, but I, I, I kind of struck on this idea. I was like, you know what? Screw it, man. I, we don't need the venue. We'll just do the Facebook Live. Because it was right when it was new, and I thought this is what we'll do a cyber tour, and we'll tag ourselves in those cities that we were supposed to play. Yeah, and we'll also uh, like and try to friend the the venues that didn't book us or didn't bother to respond. It was a lot of non responses, and that was like what what really hurt the most. Yeah, and uh, just to kind of like, okay, well we don't need you. Yeah, and uh, I mean. And there's a whole I'm sure there's a whole other episode we'll get into it luckily that that echo chamber continued to to sound um complete the silence was still deafening <laughs> it was it was very um I felt uh just reliable right <laughs> <laughs> like the lack of response has really been yeah. super yeah. consistent so yeah yeah, nice. yeah it feels feels good feels good <laughs> feels good um, so I, I, without a doubt, I think we're going to Facebook live a lot and do like, uh, we're going to do several podcasts from the road yep. as well. So there's going to be a lot of kind of production type of stuff that we're doing. Uh, eventually our podcast recordings will catch up to us in time. Uh, that's one thing that we're working on right now. We're working through how to put the stuff together and so far so good. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, as long as people remember their microphones when they come to the session, <clears throat> let it go. And, uh, you know, we have an outro theme that doesn't have lyrics on it. <laughs> I'm working on it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Somebody who showers. I'm, I refuse to agree to that. Okay. <laughs> I'm not agreeing Someone to who term. would just, you know, if you're going to pick your nose, give equal treatment, equal time to both nostrils. <laughs> Am I looking lopsided? <laughs> yeah. Old lefty's getting a little <laughs> bent out of shape over there. So, and on that note, on that note, where can people find you, Ellen Cherry? You can find me online at www.ellencherry.com, and you can support my various recording efforts and my um, wish and desire to continue to live indoors and eat food by purchasing records at ellencherry.bandcamp.com. What about you, Mr. Groom? Uh, you can find most of my stuff sort of at junestar.com, J U N E S T A R.com. Uh, you can also find my recorded output and subscription service at junestar.bandcamp.com. And you can subscribe for $5 a month. Then you get my entire back catalog plus subscription songs, uh, that are, uh, content that's exclusive to subscribers only. And, uh, you know, that's a lot of stuff. That's like, I think I'm up to like 63 songs or whatever. Of You should do it in terms of like how many of. weeks of listening you can do. <laughs> And also, people should know that that cyber tour, we recorded 21 songs. We mm -hmm. recorded Each. three songs every day for seven days. Mm -hmm. 
And if you do the math, that's 21 songs per person. Mm-hmm. And then 21 times two is 42. Mm-hmm. And you can download 42 songs from us for five bucks if yeah. you go to both of our band camp sites. So there you go. Yeah. All right. So fill your ears up, folks. Hmm. Yeah. And empty your nose. Yes. <laughs> All right. See you later. Bye.